What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the ProGK Podcast, the quarantine series. Before we get into today's episode, guys, I just wanted to remind you that I have a solo training program that is currently 60% off. It's 60 plus drills that you guys can do on your own with limited space and limited equipment. So you guys can go on my website, progkacademy.com. I'm going to link it in the show notes below and you guys can uh, check that out. It'll only be on 60% off for another week or so. So make sure you guys hop online and try and get that now. And if you have any questions about it, please feel free to DM me on Instagram. For now, let's get on to the episode. Today, we have a special guest, Tim Dittmer, who is the head of goalkeeping for the English FA. Tim has gone to World Cups with the U-20s of England. He's been Manchester City's first-team goalkeeper coach and obviously now the head of goalkeeping for the English FA. Tim talks about his process as a coach, talks about the DNA characteristics that the English FA looks for for young goalkeepers, and he discusses his experiences and where the game has taken him. Really excited for you guys to hear this episode. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps this channel out. And if you guys like this episode, try and share it with somebody you guys think may benefit from this or loves goalkeeping and wants to learn. And lastly, make sure you guys are staying safe, staying healthy, making sure that you know we're trying to do whatever we can to get over this coronavirus pandemic and making sure that you're doing your part. Hopefully you guys enjoy the episode. Take care. Hello. Tim, do I got you? Yeah. I can't see you yet, but I know you're on. How are you? There you are. I'm very good. How are you, mate? I'm doing well. Finally, uh, happy we got to connect, and it's been a few months now, but, you know, crazy times like this, sometimes you got to reconnect with the people. You been good? Yeah, all good. All good, obviously. Uh, slightly challenging times for us all at the moment, but hopefully see it as like an opportunity and, and just do the best we can, as we, as we always would, I guess. So, so yeah, great to be on. Glad, glad we've got the time. Uh, we've made the time, and... Hopefully beneficial to uh, everyone involved, including myself. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. So I think people are slowly logging on, but as they log on, can you just give us a little bit of a background into your life? I like to start these off like that, so people have a context of kind of where you've been, where the game has taken you, and kind of what uh, experiences have gotten to this point. Yeah. So, so a real fortunate and privileged journey as a as a, a young, as, you know, leaving school as a young professional with Liverpool, um, navigating my way into non-league, then getting back towards League Two or into League Two as a player coach at 27, ended up stopping playing completely due to uh, just coaching commitments uh, at Man City at this stage uh, as a professional coach. Uh, so, you know, kind of three seasons there and then led me on to um, to the FA where I've been coming up to seven years now. So, um, you know, amazing, amazing journey. Loads learned uh, first as a player, but then as a coach, uh, kind of, you know, really young coach and, um, yeah, privileged to be in the position I'm in now, working with some great people and you know, from across the world really. So yeah, just just a goalkeeping enthusiast uh, or in, what's the right word? <laughs> that's uh, the right enthusiast. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's it. I'll leave that bit to you. And uh, yeah, just just love love coaching, love helping people, uh, love trying to make the game better as well. So hopefully that explains it a little bit about myself. No, it does. Yeah, and I was doing some even more research yesterday and. I have a group chat with some of my friends and I said, guys, this guy was the goalkeeper coach for Man City at 27. I'm 27 now, so I'm sitting at home doing Instagram lives, you know, so it's, uh, it's, 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 going, it's going good for me too. But uh, I just want to know for you, uh, what is, so what's the role as you being the head of uh, the FA? What's your role and, and how do you go by, let's say, a week schedule day to day? Yeah, so so my role is is really to align everything that we do at the at the FA. So that means everything to do with international teams, uh, male and female, 
everything to do with goalkeeping coach education. Uh, that's we've got four uh, level four level qualification uh, or four tiers of, of goalkeeping qualifications. Uh, the goalkeeping content on some of the outfield stuff, and then our, our talent identification as regards kind of you know recognizing talent, identifying it, and hopefully working with it. So yeah, real broad remit. There's about 19 of us in total that, that span across all different uh, elements of it, and just trying to align everyone, make sure everyone's on the same page, and provide a bit of commonality. Really, definitely don't come at it with a view of like it's the Tim Dipper way or it must be done like this. Um, more, uh, have a think about uh, have a think about where you're going or where you want to go, and and making sure people are on the right path to get in there. So yeah, great role. So once you got into it, though, did you have to like scrap all the curriculum that the, the English FA already had, or did you kind of see the skeleton and kind of you know add add your own touch to it? No, yeah, there was there was some really good work or some really good people, and there still are. Um, when I first joined, namely people like Martin Thomas and Simon Smith and Eric Steele, who were you know before me and who still help with work with us, we've done some amazing work and put some amazing kind of um, foundations down. So so really. It was my job to um, it was my job to get everyone together, get everyone going in the right direction, and maybe looking at what the game looks like uh, in its current format, and maybe what it might look like in the future. So yeah, it was it, it definitely wasn't the Tim Dittmer way, as as I said. Yeah, but so the, the game is constantly changing. Now we have, for example, the goal kick rule. Now you can play the ball inside the box. So for the curriculum that you guys have for the FA, is it constantly changing with new rules and what the game uh, is asking of the goalkeepers? Um. It is, but I think one of the one of the fundamentals or one of the things that we ask goalkeepers to do is be is to be adaptable and to be decision makers. So I don't think a rule change should completely throw us or completely kind of derail us from what we're trying to do. So, you know, I think the way we coach goalkeepers and the way the scenarios that we put them in should be that of um, you know, difference and unpredictability to see how they deal with them challenges. So um I get loads of questions about that goal kick rule, and no, it's not really bothered <laughs> us that much because ultimately, yeah. ultimately, the goalkeepers need to be able to exploit space uh, when they've got the ball. Now, that space may be a one-yard space or a hundred-yard space. We'd want them to be able to deal with it, you know, all aspects of it. So, so yeah, that would hopefully answer that question. Once you stepped into that role, you said you had about 19 people that work underneath you or work with you now. Yeah, there's around 19 of us in all different capacities. So we've got. Um, We've got out, uh, goalkeeping coaches, we've got goalkeeping analysts, we've got people in the women's game, we've got full-time staff, part-time staff, we've got talent reporters, coach educators. So there's a whole raft of different people who fit into that framework, yeah. Okay, and how do you how do you go about hiring those people? Like, what's the criteria that you're looking for? Because I know a lot of young coaches here in the U.S., I mean, if we ever make it across the pond and go to England and, and just kind of want to try and and try our hand at uh coaching for they say the english fa what's your criteria and anything any advice for coaches that they may not be trying to apply in their craft now that they should be yeah we look we look for coaches who are uh, really impactful both off the pitch on the pitch and around the classroom so what i mean by that is they build good relationships off the pitch with players that they're able to be you know real strong relationships where they can impact and influence their thinking on the pitch we want them to be really, really impactful in how they coach. So we want them to make goalkeepers think. We want them to make them be robust physically and mentally um, and tactically astute. And then off the pitch, we want them to be up to speed and, and upskilled with like modern technology on how to, how to best interact with them on, on videos, on 
messaging on on you know creative creative ways of helping people learn. It's a it's a real kind of broad spectrum, really. But ultimately, we're after impactful coaches. Gotcha. Okay, and talking about using film and using things to critique yourself or you know critique uh, uh, the goalkeepers and help them kind of build that foundation of mental recall and understanding how to break down and look for little errors or tactical errors as well. And I have a question here from goalkeeper coach Adam. He says, first off, it was great to see you present in Baltimore. Uh, he says, Tim, do you, do you film every coaching session? And when you watch it back, are you still critiquing yourself and trying to improve as a coach? Uh, yeah, probably, probably a step further on than that. So when I coach, yes, we or I film every session and so do the coaches at the FA. Uh, that could be done in two ways. One would be like a tactical cam, a real high one that looks at the whole pitch or the whole area working in. And the second would be like a GoPro, like a one that's in the goal where you might look at some more of the intricacies with the actions that the keepers choose to use. And then as regards developing myself, we all get people to look at our sessions and critique them. So I would say to one of our coaches, or even even I think one of the coaches who just signed on, like someone like Andrew Sparks, I'd say to Andrew, Andrew, right, here's the last five sessions that I did. Um, this is what I was trying to get out of it. Uh, I'm trying to improve the decision-making on through balls, for example, or to be comfortable coming for crosses, you know, in, in chaotic situations. This is the practices that I did. What do you think? Did, did I get the outcomes I was after? Um, so we go one, one step extra and go and seek that kind of, um, uh, it's not approval, is it? It's, it's, it's seeking, critiquing and improving, yeah. improving yourself. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that's even, I get, uh, some of the guests that I've had, We've discussed building that network of coaches that are going to are going to critique you and are going to give you that honest feedback. And even maybe, you know, I saw you comment on uh, the Keeper Institute, Joe Lloyden's uh, post recently, and they were doing an exercise and you said, hey, how about trying it like this? And maybe, you know, having the ball go through the, the passing pattern that adds another uh, decision for the goalkeeper. So it's good to have that critique and have that extra input that uh, allows you to keep your mind open. Yeah, I think I think it's really important as a, in any any industry you're in that you have high high challenge around what you do. You know, no one should be should be that too comfortable in the comfort zone. So you have high challenge on what you do. So people challenge you. But with high challenge, you also need high support. So you can't just have someone someone going, ah, the session's rubbish, your session wasn't good, your session was this, or you're not this, you're not that. It needs to be done in a way where it's, what were you trying to achieve there? How might you do it differently? Here's some ideas that I might be able to help you with. So um, when you see someone just slamming someone saying it's, it's a naff session or it's no good, actually, if they follow it up with, but here's a suggestion, I'm all for that. No, I honestly, I, I think that's really good for somebody in your position to kind of have that mindset. Because again, there are a lot of young coaches out there. Uh, not that I, I won't name any, but some, sometimes it's their way or the highway and they don't really like that critique or they like to critique other people without really giving that, uh, that constructive criticism, which I think is very important in, in development as a coach. And um, you mentioned Andrew Sparks, first team goalkeeper coach at Southampton. And he actually sent me a question. He says, do you take as much satisfaction in seeing a goalkeeper coach develop as much as a goalkeeper as well? Yeah, I do. So obviously that falls under my, my remit as regards coach education and, and how coach developers coach and stuff. So, um, yeah, 100%. It's amazing. Like, I've worked with some great coaches who've kind of mentored and tutored me um, and led me, uh, so to speak. And it's it's great to now work with some coaches and, and I do say work with because it's, uh, it's not for and, and help develop each other. And it's great to see the, the paths that some of them goalkeeping coaches have gone on at the moment and continue to do and I'm, I'm really confident that um, my work with coaches impacts how they think and how they coach so uh, 
yeah, I love that side of it. It's, it's, it's a really impactful way of working. Keep saying impactful, don't I? <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, from one of my buddies, Jason Smith, uh, The Process GK, he's asking about what is your best advice for 16 to 18-year-old goalkeepers? Uh, what's my best? Oh, it's a really broad question, isn't it? Um, depends where they're playing, what they're doing. What would be good for a 16, 18-year-old goalkeeper? Okay, have a real deep understanding of the game, of the position, and, and work out how their uniqueness best suits how they play. So um, it's not just about picking their favourite goalkeeper and trying to play like them. I think it's a case of looking at themselves and saying, right, what are my unique characteristics that can, that can have an influence on the game? And then making sure that they use that. So if you're a really fast, explosive goalkeeper, make sure you've got really good start positions. Make sure you've got good communication with defenders so you can come and solve problems. Uh, if you're not so fast and you're a bit more reactive, maybe think about being deeper in your goal, staying away from play so you can then use them, you know, your reactive skills a lot, a lot better. So work out yourself and, and don't be afraid to be unique in how you play the game uh, and ultimately work out how you can best you know, be most effective in with and without the ball. For sure. I think uh, one question that I have for you, Tim, is what do you think the English FA is getting right, that you guys are getting right, that here in the States we're not doing with in terms of like player profiling and, and player scouting? Because I feel like, again, England right now, you guys are turning out some great goalkeepers, Dean Henderson, Angus Gunn, a lot of, and Jordan Pickford, to name a few, you guys are really pumping out great goalkeepers. So what do you think is maybe the main difference that you guys are doing that the States should adopt? Uh, I think we've got a, uh, listen, going on a qualification or attaining a qualification doesn't make you a good coach. Um, what you do what you do in your own time and what you do at your club makes you a good coach, the experiences that you have. Uh, we, we've definitely got an aligned set of qualifications from one to four, which, which shine a light on certain areas and advise people what areas to work on. I think there's some real good sharing across, in, in England. You know, recently we, we hosted an event where we had, 54 first-team goalkeeping coaches out of kind of 92 uh, and they were all willing to share ideas and challenge each other and, and try and better themselves so so we definitely share better and I just think there's probably a thirst a thirst for knowledge and a, and a desire to share more than maybe what goes on there but I think I think having that one kind of set set curriculum that isn't like curriculum might be the wrong word you know we've used the word dna it isn't like you've got to do it this way this is do it it's more like have a think about these things and come up with your own way of doing this so i'm not sure i've answered your question but that's that's roughly what's going on over here at the moment i think you did in terms of just it's sharing ideas and making sure that you guys are coming together and collaborating for a greater good a greater cause and i think sometimes here in the u.s like you said it's a little bit which is kind of people are want to you know keep their philosophies or kind of hide what they're using to be successful versus thinking about how that can affect and impact here the the goalkeeper and the DNA that we could potentially have in the future. Uh, okay. Okay. And I think I think having 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 a DNA, having a way of achieving it and and being open with it just just helps people. Yeah. So I agree with that. Perfect. Uh, we have one here from Pedro, and he says, Tim, at what age should an academy level goalkeeper be able to play confidently with both feet? You know, he says, play, because playing out of the back is so important these days, is that something you guys look at? Yeah, um, well, you can never say when someone's going to become confident because it, it can take people a different amount of time. Um, but they should certainly try and be encouraged to be confident in using both feet from as soon as they start playing, just from day one. Just encourage it all the time. You know, a really easy way of getting better with your left foot. Um, it, I'm imagining there's some goalkeeping sessions over there where you've got eight kids and when you've lost all the balls and all the balls have gone off, 
you ask the kids to go and get the balls, if you ask them to only bring them back with the left feet or they must kick them back only with the left foot or the weaker foot, just little simple ways of just using your left foot more and just encourage it, yeah. You can only encourage it. Pete, you remember buzzwords and stuff from your first coach or coaches that are impactful for you. You're one of them coaches that leave your goalkeepers or the goalkeepers you work with with memories of what you've said and fun ways of, of improving parts of your game. That's a great answer. Yeah, just finding little ways to kind of hack and, and maximize the time you have with your goalkeepers. Like you said, if little things like that, bringing the ball back with the, the weak foot is just something you can easily start developing and, and creating a foundation for. So coaches that are listening, please take that into account and hopefully we'll start seeing more kids do that and more coaches do that as well. Um, so Tim, I actually want to ask you about your own philosophy as a coach. And I had you on, or Mike and I had you on in our other podcast. And one of the quotes that you said was, if you're just coaching the technical action and not the decision, you're coaching the wrong thing. We encourage people not to separate the two, have the decision and then the action. So my question to you would be, let's say for goalkeepers that are 14 and under, and for coaches that are coaching those uh, goalkeepers that are much younger, is it safe to say that most sessions should be, let's say, 70% technical and 30% decisions? And then by the age of 15, 16, as you get a little bit older into, let's say, the closer to the pro game, should it start becoming more about like 50-50? And how was that kind of your approach when you were at the Liverpool Academy and uh, Everton? Um, so there's a couple of questions in there. I'll, I'll, make, I'll try to do my best to answer them. I feel like the Prime Minister, I think he's on at the moment. He writes his questions <laughs> down in between. So let me just write something down so it looks like I'm <laughs> um, so, so the first thing is there's some like, there's some unwritten rules in coaching, isn't it? Like that actually can get in the way of like good training. So like an unwritten rule would be for a goalkeeping coach, you know, we always start with a warm up. We always start with simple things and in a logical order and we build the session up to the top, you know, Ask yourself, is that actually going to be beneficial to the goalkeepers? You know, does does a session have to start with a technical practice where it's predictable service, catching in front of the face or passing? Or could a session just start with a game, a little 2v2 or a 3v3 or a, a little shooting practice where they're only allowed to use side foot or only allowed to save it with the feet or whatever it may be? And then and then start to identify some of the issues or problems that might be going on, and, and then go back and coach them. So so just check what are like them kind of traditional things that you do in sessions, and are they are they useful? The bit around like coaching the action outside of the the decision, I think that's quite you know it's quite regularly talked about. I've I've kind of encouraged people to you know read up on stuff around perception, action coupling, and things like that, and. Listen, we our our like the techniques or the actions that we use come from the decisions that we make in any given scenario. So, if you don't provide the scenario, they're just going to practice doing techniques without the the kind of the reading behind it. So, you know, the, the visual cues that, that people pick up that isn't that isn't noise. That's like a signal to do stuff. So make sure you give them then them, them triggers and cues that they need to be able to make the decisions from. Where did I work this out? Uh, so I, I was fortunate to have a really good goal. I only had a goalkeeping coach when I was 14. Uh, but then when I was 16 and I moved to Liverpool, the goalkeeping coach was very good in what I would call like the social corner, the sight corner, where he would get you to think about why and how you made the saves. So he wasn't happy that you just did something correctly. It's a breakdown, right? Why did you make that decision? What were the things, what were the factors that led you to that decision? So very quickly, I think I had a, bit of a running theme in my head around thinking about the game, around thinking about my decisions. So I think that's where it, it led from. But I have to say, like, the easiest thing to do 
the easiest thing to do as a coach is to say, right, let's let's get me cones out, put two go, put a gate down, and stand the keeper in the middle of it, and start them where to put their hands. That's really simple. It's easy for us to do. We can recall all this clever information that we've got and tell the keeper about it. When actually, if you put them in a more of a variable or random scenario where they have to come up with some of their own solutions around when to get close to the ball or when to stay away or when to come and tackle or when to when to stand up, they'll end up just being good players or you know good athletes at invasion games. So uh, yeah, that's that would hopefully I've covered all the questions there. No, you did. I think uh, again, uh, um, just to kind of follow up with that one, it's how much are you guys emphasizing with the goalkeeper coaches you guys have that are you're, you know coming through your licenses on the social aspect? And I think you said on the podcast we had recently, you said. If you want to make a chocolate cake, you want to put chocolate in it. And if you don't put chocolate, you're not going to get chocolate. And I think that was a good a good analogy to kind of understand that if you want something from your goalkeepers, but you don't teach them it or you don't put them in those environments, it's very difficult to ask them of that come Saturday, Sunday. So for those that social aspect, how important is it for coaches to ask those questions and have those goalkeepers problem solve? And it might be difficult sometimes in a group setting because obviously you want to keep the rhythm and the flow, but... Is there any advice you would give to coaches and how important that is and maybe how to go about that? Listen, it's important when you're on the grass. When you're on when you get time for your session, if you've got uh, sixty minutes a week or something, maybe only an hour, um, you use the majority or, or the high percentage of that hour as possible for practicing goalkeeping stuff. So we we call that ball rolling time. So ball rolling time to us means um that the ball or the players are in meaningful contact with the ball or, or in and around it. So whenever the coach is speaking, whenever there's a drinks break, whenever you're changing the um, session around, that counts as like dead time. So cut down the dead time in your session as much as possible. Keep the ball rolling, keep them making decisions, keep giving them actions. Um, when they do get downtime um, or a rest or a chance to go for a drink or you're moving the pitch, leave them with a meaningful question. Right, lads, um, old girls, with, when we're moving on to shots and angles now. What types of things do we do we need to think about when we're facing shots and angles? Uh, come back to me after you drink. So as they're going off drinking, then they're thinking about, oh, how might we do this? And someone might say, oh, don't go outside the line of the goal or and think about staying deeper or whatever it might be. So when they come back to you, they've already half coached themselves and, and half of the coaching's been done. Instead of you as a coach stopping the full session, uh, right, stop, everyone listen to me. I've got all the information and we'll, we'll deal with it now. You know, deal with it in different ways. Get, you know, the more opportunity they've got, chance to be active, uh, the better really. But is that something that you're encouraging your young goalkeeper coaches in the licensing to kind of really take into account so that it's not just a physical action, but now they're actually testing the cognitive and like the psychological aspect of the game? Yeah, it's 100% that, 100% that. And, and also kind of thinking that, Let's say you've got let's say you've got a session and there's one coach and five goalkeepers. Can you view that session as that you've got five goalkeepers but six coaches? So each of the goalkeepers have got an input on what they do as well, and they might be able to learn off each other. So it's not just about you. You don't hold all the cards. You don't give all the information. You might be able to say, right, Omar, what did you see in Andrew there that he did really well when he was saving his shots? And you then might you then might be that you then might be able to inform me on something that he'd done. So using using the players or the goalkeepers as coaches as well is a way of doing it. But also, also like checking the learning, checking the just because you just because you said to someone or oh, narrow your feet off or start higher or start deeper, that doesn't mean they've learned that. You need to give them opportunity to articulate that they've learned it, and if they understand it further, 
Um, so, yeah, it is something that we try and do more of. We would call that ball rolling time and coach behaviour. So the behaviour of a coach is how they ask questions and how they interact with the players. Got you. Okay. I have a question here from OJ Martin underscore. He says, Tim, at what point slash age would a goalkeeper begin to find their level or begin to plateau in their abilities? Different for every person, but you'd like to think maybe 26, 27 people might have might have like maybe reached where they might play. You know, Nick Pope's a beautiful story at the moment, isn't it? The, the route he took. Um, all the goalkeepers were the same. You know, John Ruddy was a bit later on. Peter Schmeichel is obviously the most famous one for it, coming over so late. So I would say probably 25-ish, making a guess. But, you know, we've all got dreams and we all want to dream and we should never give up on them because um, the minute we do, we might never reach them. So keep cracking on them for us all. Same with Same with coaches. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I have a question here from Logan Bittner. He says, hey, Tim, what should younger goalkeepers be focusing on that they're not currently prioritizing? Um, again, different for every young goalkeeper, but just being just being a multi-sport athlete is so important. You know, don't just stand in goal and think, right, this is all I'm doing. Be able to move, run, jump, be the most skillful, be able to use both feet, um, just be a skillful invasion player that you're able to like, manage space in front of you when you've not got the ball and then exploit space when you have got it. So you've, you've got to you've got to be a talented player. So when we run the goalkeeping camps out of St. George's Park to, to pick the goalkeepers for the national teams, we have about between 12 and 16 keepers come in. The best goalkeepers are the, have been the best outfield players as well. They tend to win everything. You know, we, when we put shooting practice, practices on, they keep scoring. When they're in goal, they keep saving it. They keep finding ways of cheating the session. They're able to recruit those around them to help them win. They're able to be a bit sneaky in how they go about winning. So I would uh, I would encourage people to, you know, be the best at everything that they can be, not just right. I'm a goalkeeper. I'm just going to do this. I agree. That's I think that's the kind of the issue sometimes where we have in the states here where we don't one we don't specialize in the position early enough. I don't think, but also two. It's, it's kind of that counter argument of maybe it's best that they play other sports because they're good athletes and then you turn that athlete into a goalkeeper. So do you guys have an approach with that? Do you guys try and have them specialize at a certain age or do you encourage them to play multiple sports until a certain age? Well, the challenging bit with that is every, every team and especially at academy level uh, need a goalkeeper um, or at least, at least think they do. So, you know, my, son, my, son's, got a, my son's in a team, he's age 10. And it's like a catastrophe because the goalkeeper doesn't want to play in goal anymore. And it's like, oh, God, what are we going to do? So I spoke to the coach. Like, it's dead easy. I said, everyone plays half a game in goal each. And then um, my lad went in goal the other week and it was his turn to play in goal. And he, he played up really high, he played on the edge of his box. And every time it was a through ball, he ran out and intercepted it. That's goalkeeper, isn't it? He's, he's yeah. learned how to defend, defend the space. When it was closer to him, he dropped a bit deeper and he, he tried to save it with any part of his body. So... That's just him or a young person exploring. So one of the challenges is that we do goalkeepers go in go goal earlier and, and really enjoy it and keep doing it. The danger with that is they don't do enough of the other stuff, enough of the running round, enough of the kicking and the passing and the other sports that, that are gonna equip them with like just just the, the literacy of, of, of having a, a quality physical list, lit, literacy. So um what we do, we encourage goalkeepers to do two roles. If they enjoy playing in goal, great. But make sure you're getting some time doing something else as well. And secondly, we leave the door open longer. So we encourage people and encourage people to look 
uh, different parts of the country and different sports around where they might be able to, you know, uh, get a goalkeeper from another sport or another discipline or maybe an outfield player turning into a goalkeeper. So it's important to look for that and, and make sure you, you're just conscious in looking for it. <clears throat> On that topic, I've had a load of questions recently around like, right, you know, we've got the coronavirus shut down, no one allowed to go anywhere. Um, what do we do? You know, what should our goalkeepers be doing in the background? So my head is like, just enjoy being a kid for a change. You know, they probably train too much anyway. Um, just enjoy being a kid, kick the ball around, have fun. Um, if you want to get a bit more serious, you know, maybe equip them, equip them with like a real physical attribute that they're, that they're going to be good at. And maybe explosive power or speed, stuff like that. You know, don't, don't worry too much around missing, missing, you know, 10 weeks or 12 weeks. We'll be able to, uh, we'll be able to make that back at some stage. Uh, when it comes to those sessions sometimes for the younger goalkeepers, how important is it for us coaches to prioritize the, them being a kid and like the fun aspect to, eat, to get their, their best effort because they're enjoying the session versus them just kind of being there because they've been asked to come by their parents. So how important is it to add that, that layer of fun? 100%. I think I've said this before, like not many kids run home to the parents or the carers, whoever they're with, and say that session was great because I had to stand in a line or I had to stand uh, and wait for a go. They come home and say, oh, that was amazing because I did this skill or made this amazing save or we won or we nearly won. That's what they love. So give them the love and then the coaching comes around the edge of that. It, you know, it's our job as coaches to notice stuff and to recognise where we can help people get better. So put them in situations where they're having fun and expressing themselves and be creative with how you go about feeding in the information and the coaching. Got it. Okay, so I have a question here from Owen Cornell. He says, what aspects must a goalkeeper have in order to make it to a national team camp? So I know we talk about different age groups and let's say maybe from like 13, 14 down. And what do you guys kind of look for and what separates those goalkeepers at that age? Right, we've got 19 characteristics that we look for. You can have a look at that with our, from our goalkeeping DNA if you'd like. Um, we look for all, all them aspects. Obviously, they're going to be good at certain ones. There's some trends that we're finding now we've been tracking this for four years around which areas our goalkeepers seem to be best at. And the ones that are most successful have been ones that we characterise as winners. They've got a relentless approach to being number one. The second thing would be nerve strength. That would be a robust inner belief to perform under pressure, so on a big occasion. The second one, will, third one would be big saves. They're, they're able to make unique result-defining saves, like unexpected saves. They make them saves. And the last one would be what we call exploiting space in possession. So that normally means they're an outstanding distributor. They're able to position themselves and receive the ball where they can, where they can hurt the opposition with short and long passes. And then the last one, the fifth one, would be that all of our goalkeepers who, who, who seem to be progressing through have a, a unique characteristic that sets them apart from the rest, whether that be speed or power, explosiveness, you know, they seem to have that. So probably them five things really, mate. To bounce off that idea, how important is it for these young goalkeepers to build that IQ and to have those intangibles at a young age? Is it on the goalkeeper to be able to start, let's say, reading the game and, and being able to dictate the pace of the game with their distribution or after catching the ball from a through ball versus how important is it for the coach to start layering that aspect into trainings? Uh, both. It's important to layer it into training, but you've, you've also got to think that if you want um, if you want a goalkeeper to be an outstanding distributor or be able to exploit space with the ball, 
you've got to understand that on day one, that isn't going to look very pretty. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to get it wrong. They're going to take bad touches and make bad decisions. What you've got as a coach, what you've got to praise and recognise is the intent that, that they have. So you want someone to be a good distributor or make big saves. Praise them when they try to do it. Praise them when they show that they've made the right intent behind the decision. Don't just praise the outcome. Praise the intent before mm. the outcome. Yeah, that, that would be that one. You know, Make sure you're coaching and how you coach and what you coach supports the kind of the fundamentals that you think are important. Um, one of the best goalkeeping coaches in this country who's done fantastic work for many years, a man called Mark Prudo, who was Jordan Pickford's coach as a, as, a, as a youngster as he came through. And they've got some other very good young goalkeepers. I would, I would have him as an outstanding coach in the kind of psych social corner. So he, he, he produces or helps produce goalkeepers who are, who've got a lot of characteristic, sorry, a lot of like personality, very robust mentally, very outgoing, very live, very confident. He's very good at that. And he does that by his coaching environment. So he sets his coaching environment up and interacts with them like that. So that was really good. Um, I had a question around um, my thoughts on goalkeeping talent identification and why clubs seemingly slow to utilise goalkeeping specialists. Uh, I think the reason people don't want to use goalkeeping specialists, I don't think we align our thoughts close enough to that of what the team needs. I think sometimes it can seem like we come from a different angle or a different world. And I think it's our job. Our first job is to make sure we align with what the club or the team need. Uh, so everything falls backwards or falls downwards from the coach or the club in what they need. And we've got, to, we've got to take people on the journey with us, not come and blow them out of the water and say, I know what I'm doing. This is what, we're, this is what you should do. Even though we may believe that's right some, sometimes, I think we've got to be a bit more subtle in, in saying to them, uh, you know, this is, this is how you might go about thinking about recruiting goalkeepers. Sorry, I wanted to get that one in. Someone messaged me no, privately. No worries, no worries. And then to build off that point, you've coached at all levels, obviously the academy, then you had... Man City, then you U20 national team for England. So for you, what's it like in terms of, again, that collaboration with the coach when you guys are having players come from their from their pro teams to the FA or to the uh, national team camps? For you, what's the difference in how you coach club versus the national team goalkeepers? Yeah, we're really lucky. Firstly, I've got to say, the coaches and the clubs over here, uh, we've got a really good relationship with all the goalkeeping departments and, and, and the outfield departments as well. We're very fortunate to have that. One of the things that it's, it's important to do is to have real clear lines of communication that this is what we're working on, this is why we're working on it, not hiding anything, having honest conversations, grown-up conversations, and just having a real clear level of clarity around what we're doing, but also accepting that we will do things slightly differently, but having that discussion. And ultimately, if you have the discussion up front and you've got a good rationale behind why you're doing something, normally it's okay. We, we, often, we often find that, like, I don't think it's I don't think it's really our job at the national team to to coach the exact technique into someone compared to what they're doing at a club. Uh, yes, we can influence and affect it, but I don't think it's our job to do that. It's a, it's about if if there's something going wrong with that technique or action, yes, you can then start to make tweaks and speak with the club. Um, but ultimately, it's that, that's not our job. Our job is to make sure that they're you know clear, coherent, and effective at match situations you know being effective in games so that's how we go about that yeah i think that's uh, a topic for discussion too when it's talking about 
not stepping on anybody's toe. So again, have just as much as you have the goalkeeper coach collaborating with the first team coach, it's just as important for those departments to have collaboration with you as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think anytime, if you think about it, anytime you get into a discussion with another goalkeeping coach or another coach about a player, what you're actually talking about is making that player better. You, the two of you might not be on the same page at that very one time. Uh, but ultimately, you both you've got the best you've got the players' best interests at heart. So, um, you know, having them robust, difficult conversations are fine. Like I, I've been working with Aaron Ramsdale uh, from Bournemouth a lot recently, and I speak with their coaches, you know, regularly. And we've got quite a different view on on a certain part of the game that Aaron does differently with club than he does with country. Um, mm-hmm. I I understand and appreciate why they do it like that at the club. And they understand and appreciate why we do that when he comes with England. And, and Aaron's job is to be adaptable, to be able to take his club hat off and put his England hat on. And then vice versa, when he goes back the other way, be able to do the other thing. Because ultimately, throughout his career, he'll play for several managers uh, and several coaches who do things differently. So uh, let's, not, let's not shy away from the fact that you know, they do have to be adaptable and be involved in it themselves. Yeah, that's a that's great advice for you. any young goalkeeper out there. Just be adaptable because you're going to be put into different situations, different environments that are going to be, you know, just slightly different variances from the coaches. They're going to ask something different from you. So it's good to, again, have an open mind and, and be able to adapt to different uh, situations and coaching points. So it's a good point. Uh, okay, so we have a question here from Wesley1. He says, what's your advice uh, coaching goalkeepers when their team is out of possession? Uh, the zone in front of the area, inside the area, and then the goal. So maybe we can talk about different scenarios of when, let's say the team is the back four from the other team is building the ball. Where maybe should the goal, and there's no pressure, where should the goalkeeper be? When there's no pressure on the ball, you need to look at the, well, the goalkeeper needs to be looking at the body language of the player on the ball. So if the player on the ball has got the ball out of his feet, he's got no pressure on him. That would suggest he's probably able to kick it over your head or play a longer pass or have a longer shot. If the ball's under his feet and he's got his head down, he probably won't be able to play a longer pass. So you can you can afford to be a bit higher. So the body language of the player on the ball can inform what position you take up. This goes back to your practice design. If the ball's out your feet, you probably need to be deep in your goal, ready to take a shot. Um, additionally, when the ball's in a wide area and you're thinking about defending your area, again, pick up the body cues, pick up pick up how they might cross it. Is it going to be in-swinging or out-swinging? But also assess what's going on in the area. If there's only one man in the area uh, and he's looking to threaten a certain space or, or part of the box, you need to position yourself in a position where you can affect that person. There's no point in you saying, right, there's the ball, there's my goal. It needs to be, right, who's going to score against me? So actually, you need to stop it reaching that point. So we would call that like kind of proactive goalkeeping or thinking goalkeeping where you're not just, it's not just ball and goal, it's ball, goal, and where's the man as well. Mm. Tim, I, actually, I want to ask your opinion. Uh, I was speaking to Chris Sharp. Uh, I was a goalkeeper coach for the Colorado Rapids, and I filmed one of his sessions, and he, used, he the main topic of it was depth, creating depth, and to give yourself more more time and space to see the ball through, you know, through bodies, through traffic. And I had Steve Clark, who's a starting goalkeeper at Portland Timbers, and he kind of 
echoed the very similar kind of mindset as to sometimes since we were young, we've been told to advance our position to close down the angle and to minimize that space so we have a better position to, again, influence the shot that comes through maybe the traffic or from an angled shot. So I'm going to give you two different scenarios here, Tim, and I want to get your perspective on it. One, the ball just got played in. Either you came out or one of your defenders cleared it off uh, from a corner kick or a cross, headed it out. It fell maybe 25, 30 yards. As the goalkeeper in that situation, are you encouraging them to step up their position or create that depth and stay back? Right, you'd love me to say one or the other now, wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> yeah. But but I, I can't do that. And the reason, hopefully, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you the answer I was going to give you and then I'll give you what I, what I would do. So goalkeepers... So a, a goalkeeper has got to understand the rationale or the, the the impact of the decisions that they make. So if the ball drops 25 yards out in a crowded area, if the goalkeeper advances to six yards, then he or she has to understand that they're going to get less reaction time, less chance of seeing the ball clearly, and more chance of them running into traffic. Okay? They've got to understand that. If they drop off deep to the line, they've got to understand that they get more reaction time uh, there's got, it's going to be travelling through more bodies uh, they're going to have to cover bigger distance with the movements but they've got more chance to respond to what happens now you can't you know Peter Cech for years in the Premier League stepped up to six yards and made loads of saves uh, and the flip side of it Hugo Lloris has dropped to his line or behind his line at some stage and has made loads of saves so I would say it's important that the goalkeeper knows the impact of each decision on whether they go or stay and they choose which one they want to do and ultimately find out if they're effective. If you're asking me what, what I would do personally in that scenario, I would drop off. I would drop off, stay deeper, keep a tall position, keep a neutral body shape to be able to see the ball and respond as late as I can when it comes through to make a late save. That's what yeah, I would do. For sure. And that goes back to obviously playing the percentages or playing what you feel is best for your size and your reactions and what your strengths are. And I think there's one question here that I want to get to. It's uh, from Linus underscore soccer dot O2. He says, as a smaller keeper, would you advise me to come for crosses or should I rely on my reflexes on the line? And that was a question that I asked in the previous episode or not previous episode, but in the other live that uh, unfortunately I got cut off with is should goalkeepers play to their strengths, even if it's not a part of the modern game? So, for example, if you're better at 1v1s or you're better with ref uh, reflex saves because you're just you know disciplined to stay up, is it best to maybe drop off on your lines when that ball comes over if the forward does get it, you are playing to your advantage? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's important for this person to work out what their kind of parameters are, so how far they're willing to go, how quick they can get there, so work out what the parameters are, what they can, their, their limits of what they can reach. So you need to experiment with that in training, 100%, work out how far you can go. Uh, secondly, I would say make sure your physical characteristics match up with what you're trying to do. So if you're a smaller goalkeeper and you're asking should I come for crosses, I would say a couple of things. One, you need to be real good anticipators and readers of the situation to know where the ball is going to go and where the gaps are. Secondly, you must be extremely very good explosive power to be able to get the ball higher than, than someone else who might outjump you because of their size. You've got to be able to outjump them because of your explosive power and your speed. So if you've got them three things, yeah, go and do it. If you've not got them, don't. But also, if you don't have them, that means you might be able to start in a more intelligent position where you've read a situation. So practice, work out your parameters in training and make sure you work on the, the kind of physical characteristics that will get you there. Mm. 
Got it. Yeah. Again, it's like those redeeming qualities where you lack in certain areas. It's important to build other areas that you can turn into strengths. Um, next GK Academy, he says at USC 20 tactical was the center of everything for you. How do you develop their knowledge of the game and what age do you start and how much video and training, etc.? Yeah. So tactical is, um, the tactical part of any game or sport informs everything else you do. Um, so, uh, let's, let's think of a situation. So in snooker, uh, I don't know if you, do you have snooker in the US? Say it again. Pool. Pool. You have pool. In oh snooker, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in snooker, you, you can't, you can't have both feet off the floor. So that means you must, you must have a foot on the floor at any one stage. Otherwise people would be stood on the table, knocking it in with the cue, wouldn't they? So the tactic of, of that, of that sport, the rules, the constraints mean, you know, we can only do certain amounts of things. So tactic sits in the middle for us. Uh, and we think that's the most important. Managing the game, yeah. So when you've not got the ball, managing the game, that means with how you position yourself, how you speak with others. Um, when you've got the ball, trying to exploit the space wherever it is. And when you've not got the ball, trying to trying to be proactive to make to prevent things from happening rather than react. So how we go about coaching that is is one, we ask we ask our goalkeepers and our coaches to be students of the game, you know, astutely really understand the different parts of the game. Um, we ask uh, the goalkeepers to, um, sorry, we put the goalkeepers into scenarios where they have to do both of these things. They have to make decisions. They have to uh, solve problems. They have to be put in scenarios where they have to come up with the answers and, and see whether they can. So we, we highlight it and then we expose them to, the, to them scenarios and situations as well. Otherwise, you're just hoping on a Saturday that it works out well and one of the techniques that you've taught them can be applied to a different scenario than you've had in training. Agreed. And I think uh, I kind of want to just re-elaborate or go back to one of the questions that I asked you earlier about for younger coaches, how important, let's say, I, I, you don't want to talk percentages, but technical versus tactical and at what, at what point is the tactical outweighing the technical? They're both the same. Both you can work on both at the same time. But even as for younger goalkeepers, the technical side, right? We want to build that foundation of being able to control in the bubble, the proper technique. Is that something that we should be not overcoaching, but really emphasizing more at the youth ages to build that foundation? Then as they get to like a 14, 15, as they get a little bit older, then we start really emphasizing that tactical part. You can, you can if you want. But it's not it's not a necessity to do it that way. You can do both at the same time, so you can achieve you can achieve tactical objectives and technical outcomes, or, ta or you know technical outcomes at the same time. You don't have to separate. Don't have to separate. To Peter Schmeichel said, or oh, he came over to our goalkeeping conference. Uh, when was it? Two years ago or a year ago? I'll have a look now so I can get the exact quote that he said. He said, "Don't worry about locking in a technique until a goalkeeper has gone through growth." That's what he said. That were his exact words. <laughs> That's actually very impactful. I like that. So we have um, ARS goalkeeping. He says, one question. Are, do you find yourself critiquing the goalkeepers in sessions? Or do you find it more after the session, let's say, reviewing film? Uh, both. Um, both. I think, it's, I think if you serve a lot as a goalkeeping coach, you miss a lot of stuff. Like I said before, it's our job to recognize and see stuff. And if you're serving and kicking you're not going to see certain behaviours the goalkeepers do. So yes, in training, you can give some feedback, but if you can film it, great. You pick up some real golden stuff outside of it that you've maybe not seen. Uh, and then to try and avoid that is if you can get the players of the session doing more of the service, you can pick up some really, really 
key crucial stuff. Yeah, you got. I'm sure you guys have the goalkeepers serving a lot, uh, not a lot younger, but making sure they're hitting the volleys, hitting the service, right foot, left foot. And that again, how important is that to you? Yeah, oh, really important. Every time I go and coach a group of goalkeepers now, like grassroots or other levels, I tend to get four goals. If I've not got four goals, just use four poles or, you know, make make some goals up. I put them about 20 yards apart, so two two facing each other, two facing each other, keeper in each goal, and they have to pass it between them. You know, there might be two balls going and then they shoot when it gets to a certain position. And basically there's, there's four keepers working at any one time. There's multiple shots coming in. And that means that they'll be positioning themselves, making decisions, uh, trying to come up with you know certain actions to, to solve the problems. That I just find myself coaching what goes on rather than just coaching an action that a, a coach wants to pick. Um, just found my note, Peter Schmeichel. Don't worry about locking in technique until after growth. I'm not, I'm not saying that's uh, gospel, but Peter Schmeichel said it. <laughs> Nothing. Again, that's 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 a a lot of the points that you make, which I really like, is that it makes you really think about like the process that they're going through when they make those kind of comments and like what they've seen and what it just it makes your mind go a little bit uh, into really self reflection as a coach. Like, okay, why would somebody like Peter Schmeichel say that? And then you start implementing and you're realizing, oh wow, okay, there's actually belief. There's 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 reason for it. Yeah, someone just asked about making saves with top hands. Uh, get a gym mat out or get yourself in the sand or something. Don't know where the question come from. And get someone kicking or throwing it um, across you, and you've got to you've got to decide that when it's a when it's above your head, when it's above head height inside the line of your body, that can be a top hand save. When it's outside uh, your reach uh, or your line of your body and lower than head height, that's a that's the same side hand save. So just 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 experiment and try different things. Become comfortable with it. Got it. And uh, Tim, for me, one question I think for goalkeeper coaches is, uh, could you just take, take me through your process when you draw up your sessions? To me, I, I like I just like hearing that because and seeing how your mind works. Because obviously, oh, right, this is you've asked us at a great time. We've just embarked on a project where we're doing some work on on how you design practices. So a practice, we we we're calling a practice a part of a session. So if a session sixty minutes, you might have four parts to it. So how you design that part of it. So at the moment. Bloody hell, you've asked me at the wrong time. Sorry for the bad language. My my head is in the air around exactly how to do that. So I just ask you as goalkeeping coaches, ask each other or try and explain or write on one piece of paper how you go about getting the idea from your head to the paper. Because at the moment it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a challenge uh, for us to get this down. But we will we will do it. Um so how I do it, I pick I pick a section of the game. So I pick a part of the game. So let's say I pick dealing with a back pass. Okay, so I'll pick that part and then make the pitch look like that and then put things on the pitch, i.e. players and interference, which which replicate what would happen in the game. So the pass comes from the left. There's going to be some pressure following the pass and there's got to be some stuff going on where I know where to pass it. So I make the situation represent what the game looks like. We then We then think about what you would do before the pass what you do during the pass, what you do after the pass. So there's a, there's a cycle going around it. And then we add in some stress or pressure to make it harder than the game. So, you know, you get less time or less space or more decisions, more confusion, and then swing around in that, in that, um, in that cycle. But always start with part of the game. What do I want to get out of it? And then make it look like the game and then have a, have a crack at it. Yeah. 
Watch this space mentioned- on that, though, because we're going to create some work on it. <laughs> well, the one thing you just mentioned was those pressure situations. And uh, I was actually having a conversation with one of my buddies, uh, Eric Lenofsky, and we were discussing, you know, recreating those pressure situations in training environments. And, you know, and a lot of us can handle cross-training, even sometimes when you have, like, dummies and you have traffic in training, right? But once the game comes, you know, that pressure can sometimes make it difficult for us to call upon that technique to execute it at the right time. So for, for you and the FA and just kind of for maybe for your philosophy and how you approach sessions like that, have you tried to recreate that authentic stress to kind of produce those similar emotions that a goalkeeper might feel in a game? Yeah. So stress is like, is, is, is self-induced. So pressure is self-induced. It's perceived what's going on. So what's pressure for one person might not be pressure for another. Um, so you, there's different ways of dialing up pressure. Uh, you can do it via phys- phys- you can make them tired. You physically make them under pressure. You can complicate them mentally. I've seen people. I've had. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying this from a proud point of view. <laughs> I've had people. I've had one person cry in a session I was doing because they couldn't work out what to do. It was too many things going on. You can ask them to do d- different things to distract them mentally. So you can ask them to do mental arithmetic. Ask them to be reciting the alphabet or backwards, things like that, just to stress the situation to then see, can they then snap into the snap into the actual bit that they need to get right? So just play around with how you how you mentally stress someone before they, they go into what you want them to do. There's more than one way to skin a cat and, and to get that kind of uh, that, that mental duress going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also, too, like this from the psychological side, from the coach's perspective, you've obviously made your way from the academy to – first team football with Man City and then now with the national team, U20s and, and uh, so on and so forth. So from a coach's perspective, how do you, how did you approach those increase of levels and the demands? And let's say, obviously you have different personalities as goalkeepers that you're training, but obviously the lower levels, they're not lower levels, but the younger levels are maybe a little bit more receptive and open to criticism. But as you get to the professional level, they may not be not as receptive, but what, what you're seeing sometimes may be close to the finished product, their final product. So how have you been able to manage those uh, the psychological side of it, and what what has your approach been like? Yeah. Uh, so, firstly, accepting that everyone's different, um, and day one isn't going to be a success. Uh, but being clear in how you communicate with the goalkeeper and and give them rationale behind why you're doing it. If you take a goalkeeper who's just done repetitive practice for eight years and throw them into a chaotic situation, they're gonna they're gonna potentially sink and definitely not like it. But if you lead them into that situation and explain the rationale and the the benefits that they're going to gain from being in that situation, you're going to get some buy-in from them and some understanding. And ultimately, if you involve them and if they understand how that's going to improve them, they'll do it. We, we had Lee Grant, um, Man United's, one of Man United's goalkeepers, in on a coaching event we did recently. He's got a broken wrist. And um, he's 36 now, I think. And he said, he said to us, he watched some of the practices that we did. He said, as a 25-year-old, I could not have done them practices he said I was too kind of linear in my thinking. I just wanted to be successful. I just wanted to get catches. I just wanted to do this. He said, but now at 36, I can see the value that that would have given me. So I think that's a real good example of someone explaining the benefits and seeing how, how it might benefit you as a keeper. But um, yeah, involvement in it. Yeah, I think like you said it's it's that showing the goalkeepers obviously that you you have a thought and this is why you're doing it and putting some you know, put, putting your, your reason behind something. I think in any job that you have, if you allow the workers or people working underneath you or you're working in collaboration with somebody, 
to understand your purpose for why you're doing something, then I think that is that's going to garner the respect that you may need. There's going to be some you know pushback for sure, and I think that's one thing you said on the on the podcast we had recently with you is that you want to hire people and bring people in. They're not not that they're not easy to work with, but they're going to give you what they feel is is their approach and then you guys work together as okay this is what i like about your approach this is what i think you can fix and then being open to that criticism so how important has that been for you and your coaching journey being open to criticism yeah um, i've just i'd like to say that i live with one of them as well uh, in my house <laughs> um so i got good practice there no listen you've got, we, we we believe that we believe that you've got to be open um to challenge and open to critique and and if you if you step outside your comfort zone and 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 open yourself up, you can learn so much. You know the amount of coaches that I speak to and look for feedback from is, is key. And you don't learn things that you already know. You learn things that you don't know. So when someone chucks an idea at you that you've never heard before or or you don't know, don't dismiss it straight away. You know just hold on to that for a minute and just just let it ride. It's really easy to dismiss it because we don't know what that thing is, but just, just, just hold on to it for a little, just a little bit longer. You know, it doesn't have to be chucked out of the park straight away, um, because ultimately that's where some of the, you know, some of the best ideas have ever, have ever come from. From you know, really wacky out the box ideas. You should be a little bit uncomfortable about new ideas if they're that good. You know, and um, be excited when you get a bit uncomfortable. You know, don't restrict yourself. For sure, I think that's the the evolution as a coach. I think, uh, like you said, it's it's important to be able to respond and get different perspective from other people to allow you that growth. One question here is from Jake Davis, 21. And Tim, we're almost done. I know we have a few more minutes here and I just want to get to a few more questions. But Jake Davis says, uh, Tim, what is next for you? Uh, How did you set up long-term and short-term goals? And do you do things like IDP for coaching? Yeah, great question. I, uh, when I got this role, I had a goalkeeping for the FA. I'd reached my, my, my long-term goal. Now at the moment I'm in the middle of that, and I want to I want to be the best that I can be at doing this, and I want to do it for a prolonged period. So I want to be good for five years at doing this. I'm probably three years into this role right now, seven years at the FA, but three years into this. So I want to become the best that I can be at this. Uh, what's next for me after that? I don't know. Um, I need to reset mine at the moment. Um, I need to look at you know where my strengths are best played out. Is it at a first team at a club? Or is it at a? Uh, is it changing my role completely and going into a different kind of coaching or leadership role? I don't know. Um, I'm not desperate to do anything. I'm, I love doing what I do. It's a real broad spectrum of stuff what I do. So definitely in no rush. And, and can I just say there, Omar? Like I've seen loads of questions that's come in. I feel really bad that we've not been able to answer them. Or I don't know whether there's a way of sending them to me. Or I'm happy for people to get in touch on Twitter or any any way. Like please. I'll just sure. share everything I can. So apologies if your question hasn't been answered. No worries. We'll again, with those few more minutes, I'm going to try and get to as many questions as we can. Just Spitfire, I had my like layout of how to, kind of how I wanted to go about it. But again, it, uh, I think you've answered pretty much every question that I could ask. I'm going to go all these as quickly as we can. So uh, it's a good question that I like from First Choice Goalkeeping. They say, are your training sessions on match day minus one consistent? Or com- uh, are they completely geared towards your opponent or just based on what the number one feels that they need? Yeah, good question. We are trying to take them match day minus one sessions in line with making the keepers more adaptable. So at the moment, we think that like goalkeepers are really safe and are like, right, like, we've got to do the same thing on match day minus one and just feel good and just go through a routine. And actually, can we stress them a bit more? And can they be comfortable with doing 
maybe only a little bit or maybe maybe a lot uh, mentally. So um, our sessions are geared around making them more adaptable and 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 coming up with, with solutions as we do in every other session. It's definitely not. We don't want to waste a day on a grass on the grass. A day is wasted if it's if there's something meaningful isn't achieved. And some of that is geared around the opposition. Yeah. And the right. previous question was, yeah, we do have IDPs for coaches. We call them coach development plans. That was the previous question we have then. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Uh, my, my man, uh, Neil Thompson from Big Cat, Big Cat Goalkeeping, he says, Tim, have you seen any major differences in goalkeeper t- uh, goalkeeping characteristics between different federations or national associations? Yeah, you do. I think it's probably more behaviours. So you can see how, how people have coached technique or actions into people. You can see certain nations... Uh, have a real defined diving technique or a really really defined way of dealing with 1v1 scenarios you know lots of blocking and stuff so yeah you can really see where people put their eggs or my other comment is like how they make the cake you put a lot of chocolate in you get a chocolate cake so um i suppose it's just being aware about how much of each ingredient you put in but yeah you can see that with with different countries uh 100 um and what i've found the, the collaboration i've had with different countries is we're all so happy to share with each other and and openly discuss what we do. So, All right, uh, from Chris Sharp, goalkeeper coach from the Colorado Rapids, he says, Tim, can you speak a little bit on the FA's philosophy of the size of goalkeepers? Is there an ideal size they're looking for within the FA? We don't have, um, we don't have a set size that we look for. Uh, we work off four things from a physical point of view. Having a unique physical characteristic, being an effect- efficient mover, uh, having explosive power and, and one other. So if you're good at all them things, it means you're able to, um, oh, sorry, the last one was robust. It means you're able to be successful physically. What I would add to that is I don't think there's ever been a pro goalkeeper less than five foot ten, five foot eleven, from that springs to mind. So if you are less than five foot ten, make sure your uh, your other physical attributes are at a world class level. Yeah, I think that's kind of something that over the younger goalkeepers who ask those questions, they kind of overlook that understanding that if you're not good in one area, you cannot be bad in another area so if you weren't given that height you cannot be bad at mistiming crosses you have to have you have to be good at you have to really fill those those uh those voids um i like this question a lot from coach uh thames one he says what are some new goalkeeper trends that you guys are currently tracking uh where is the position headed do you think i think the position has moved drastically in the last 10 years um it's moved really quickly with the demand for distribution the demand some of the new techniques and actions 1v1 I think the position's already moved a lot um I don't think it'll move too much again soon I think it'll, if anything it might regress a little bit you might just settle on right we're going to be really good at these few things so I don't think it will travel too big a distance anywhere else now I think the things that you're seeing and the things that are out there the topics that have been working or that have been worked on are, are where we're at Okay. Uh, from uh, GKCoach.WX, he says, we talk about realism in sessions, but do you believe there are certain exceptions for where isolated sessions, announced practices are appropriate and beneficial for the goalkeeper? Yeah. I think he said unannounced practices. Sorry, announced practices. That means like repetitive serves where the, where the goalkeeper knows where it's going. Yeah. Yeah, there is, there is time for that. But I just say, just be careful of your dosage around like the amount of that that you do. So, of course, add some of that in, but it shouldn't be at the detriment of realistic realism uh, where you can provide it and getting goalkeepers to be comfortable in dealing with the situations that you put them in. You know, and the, the, the more you expose them, the more you expose them to more challenging situations, the more adaptable 
and the more effective that they'll become. If you just keep it safe all the time and keep repeating the same stuff, repeat the same stuff, they become they become good at doing the same stuff. Um, yeah. And then it doesn't it doesn't apply itself or transfer to the games that they have to perform in. Okay, uh, from uh, Blake Hilton, he says, "What what do you feel Dean Henderson has done this season to really make a name for himself, and how do you feel he has improved over the past year?" Um, he's definitely made big saves at important times, um, so he's definitely done that. He's been really consistent in in everything he's done, both on the pitch and off the pitch. So he's not been, I would call it, staying in the grey. So he's been able to to not get too excited when it's gone well and not get too down when it's gone bad and just be able to stay in the middle. And he's just gone about doing his job really effectively and efficiently, really. All right. Well, we have a few more questions here, Tim, and I'll let you go, all right? For me personally, I, I read an article about you yesterday about you know the, the psychological side of the game and how when you were playing, that was sometimes an issue for you. When you made a mistake, and I think this happens a lot, is that you were kind of chasing the game. You were anxious to make the next decision and make the next decision be a right one. So you'd go on chasing the game, playing catch-up, rather than doing what was just natural and what came uh, easy to you. So from a psychological standpoint, how have your experiences as a player helped you approach this with the FA? Yeah, so I just didn't know enough about the psychological side of the game when I was a player. So didn't really have any strategies about how to improve that. So um, I've just kind of upskilled myself and, and you know, done a, done a couple of courses and, and asked for advice and got some learning from other people. And one, one strategy I use now is, is called chunking the game. Um, so what we do is we ask the keepers to chunk the game into actions. So if, I don't know if I've said this before. So if, they, if they count five actions, just try and get five right in a, in a row. So let's say the game kicks off. The first one is a back pass. Uh, the second one, they come for a cross. The third one, come for a through ball, and then they have two goal kicks. If they get five of them right, they tick that off as like, right, Brill, I've completed that. If if one of them five goes wrong, they have to go back to zero. So receive a back pass, come for a cross, right, they didn't get the third one right, they didn't come for a through ball, that takes them back to zero. So just getting them to chunk the game into action so they get five things right in a row and then start it again. Helps with your concentration, it helps with just splitting the game up really yeah I think that's a good point too it's about sometimes it's not really about trying to overcome something right away but it's having a different perspective a different spin on things that you are able to kind of gradually progress within that skill and I think the psychological side of the game is a a big skill that a lot of us need to improve on but with that information to understanding that it's just one uh, completion after the next completion after the next completion and then eventually after you look back within those let's say 60 minutes of the game those five things now are checked off and now you're feeling better about it Correct, yeah. Okay, I have uh, one question for you here. He said, a quote that you said one time was, don't just present the final action, throw variables in there as a coach and be able to coach multiple outcomes. And just can you elaborate on that? I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, but how important is it for, again, for, for players to be adaptable, but also for the coaches to be adaptable? And on top of that, there is a question that I had from somebody, my band, John Lamelli yesterday. He said that sometimes as coaches, we have a set plan for the session. And when let's say there's five exercises on the third exercise, if we feel the goalkeeper isn't comprehending or or really grasping what you're trying to get out of them, do you stay on that point or do you try and progress the session to uh, stages four and five? So from your perspective, would you stay on a topic even if you feel like you have to get to the end and then vice versa, how important is it for coaches to be adaptable from those little changes within within a session from a session plan? 
Yeah, no, I think you need to be adaptable in letting your session move to the direction it needs to with the players, whether it's too sim- too easy or too hard, too complex. You know, you need to be able to progress or re- regress it. I would suggest that we often start with it too simple and never get it hard enough. So try starting with it hard and then, you know, layering it back if you need to. The question about not just coaching the final action, I think the example I'll give is, let's say you want to work on shots from an angle. So you say to the keepers, right, working on shots from an angle. Um, don't start them in the position to save the shot from the angle. Start them in a different one. Um, so start them in the middle of the six-yard box or six yards out in the middle. And then when the ball gets passed out wide, they have to move and take up the position. Now, as they move and take up the position, they'll probably take up a wrong position. So there's some coaching fear. They'll probably be still moving as it's kicked. There's some more coaching fear. And lots of things will come out of it. If you start them in the position knowing where the ball is and where to stand, you end up only coaching or keep your arms closer together or keep your legs further apart, whatever it might be. So you get less, you actually get less to coach and the, the keepers get less to practice from regards to what the game is. And then also you might check whether they're, they're actually switched on by instead of passing it out to the man out wide, you might slide it to a position where they could come for it. And if they don't come for it, why haven't they come for it? You know, if they can mm. cut out a pass, yeah. prevent something happening, why haven't they done it? So, you know, give them that kind of framework where they can operate within it and stop the ball from reaching the dangerous destination or going in the net. So there's more coaching to do there. For sure. Like you say, yeah, it's the the ability to ask more of them than, than just the set goal or the set session. And I talked to Chris Sharp again about this, is that sometimes we give our goalkeepers the, the set plan for the drill and they end up playing the drill versus playing the actual situation. Um, and I'm sure you've seen that over your, your coaching career as well. You become you become good at drills. Um you know, I work with, I'm not going to name him, but I've, over the last few years, worked with a goalkeeper who's so adaptable and he's, he's comfortable with any topic, any session. And he actually complains about repetitive practice or, or announced practice where he knows what's going to happen. He doesn't like it, doesn't stimulate him. He doesn't like doing it. He doesn't see the realism in it, but he's a top, top goalkeeper. Wow. I'll have to ask you uh, behind the scenes who who that was. But when you go out to do your sessions, how often are you repeating the same drills? Or do you go into every session with a blank sheet of paper and go, okay, this is the goal. This is what I'm trying to get out of it. Let's reverse engineer and uh, use new drills. Like you say, don't keep it stale or bland for the goalkeepers. Yeah, the framework of the drill is very similar. So it's always in a goal. It's always in an area. And there's always a pre-action, a during action, a post-action. There's always a competition on it. So like the framework is, is the same, but some of the stuff that goes on in the middle, some of the cuter stuff slightly changes. Um, but like always a scoring system, always different positions before an action. So, uh, yeah, it's um, the outside of it looks the same, but the inside of it differs with it's like that's the that's the kind of little intricacies of coaching, the rules and the constraints that you put on. Got you. All right, Tim. Well, we've been on here for over an hour now, and I just wanted to uh, say thank you for coming on. It was, again, great great just knowledge. And I, I, just us young coaches and young goalkeepers sh- should understand how fortunate we are to have people in your position who are willing to share ideas, who are willing to uh, just spread that knowledge. And I think you'll start noticing in the years to come how much more beneficial that is going to be for us. And you'll start seeing goalkeepers out there who either become coaches or professional goalkeepers who will look back at this and be like, we were fortunate to have someone like that. So uh, any last words for you or anything that's going on in your life right now? Probably two two things would be like, um, if I've been vague on anything or anyone disagrees on anything or thinks I'm not answered, please get in touch and push me further on it. Sometimes I can be a bit vague and mix my words up. So 
come back and, and push me on anything you want and ask me to be more clear and give examples. And second, uh, another thing would be if I've not asked any, if not answered so many questions, somehow get in touch with me on, on Twitter, probably best. And lastly, you know, it's a real tough time at the moment, isn't it, for a lot of people in the world around what's going on. So, you know, look after your families. I sound like the Prime Minister here, like, stay at home because it'd be terrible for anything to happen to, to anyone that you know. And it's, it's not about the people. Um, it's about the people who are, who are ill and potentially getting ill, not necessarily you. Um, so let's let's make sure we get through this tough time together. We all have to make sacrifices. So that would be a bit yeah. of a deep one, but yeah. That's a great way to end it. And again, you're very accessible on social media, uh, at Tim Dittmer, I'm sure, on, on all social media platforms. Yes, Twitter. Yeah, I'm not good on Instagram. Okay, no worries. Yeah, I'll, tell, I'll drive people to, drive yeah. people to. <laughs> I'll direct yeah, them yeah. to Twitter. But Tim, again, thank you so much for uh, spending time with me no today. Problem. And uh, hopefully you stay safe with the family and uh, we'll talk soon, all right? Cheers, man. Go easy. You too, take care.